What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome back to the 25th episode of The Crossroads, a weekly financial show for our generation. And for listeners, welcome back to the Long Game Podcast. What's up, everyone? Um, We just wanted to take a quick little pause before we get into the topic today. Just say thank you for everybody who's been listening. I think when we started this podcast, I don't think Trayton and I really ever expected it to take off as quickly as it was. I think my last season, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about the financial topics. And I quickly realized that we needed to um, change and be about financial topics. And we went from averaging about 35 listens per podcast. And now we're up to about 120. So we just thank you all for listening and sharing. And just real quick, want to plug reviews. We would really love if you would go into Apple podcasts and review us. Um, It helps us be able to come up easily on search and right now with how many listens we have, we, we, we just hope that we can get more than 15 reviews. So if every one of you guys would please just take a quick second to review it. If you have something nice to say, great. If not, just uh, leaving like whatever star you think this deserves would be awesome. But yeah, let us know what to improve on as well. Yeah. And again, like if you have any topic ideas or things that you want to talk about, shoot them our way. Like we have <coughs> on our list, but we also want to make sure that we're speaking to the exact things that you guys want to talk about. And I think we're a little different than most other podcasts because we're not trying to like record and schedule things five months out. Like we're really trying to be relevant to not only things that are like you guys are facing and things that happen in your life, but also like what current events are going on and how does that relate to the financial stuff that's going on in your life? So we just want to keep doing this and make sure that we keep adding value for you guys. But anyways, beyond that today, we're going to kind of try to do something a little bit different and talk about what's going on in the world and the economy today. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we're economists. Like I was like everybody else, I'm, I'm you know, a finance major. I took economics courses, but we're just going to kind of talk about what's going on, what we're seeing, and then try to wrap it up with like, you know, based on all of this, what should you be doing um, but again, like this is really real stuff. And Train talked about this on his two minute Tuesday too. Like, you know, we don't necessarily want to sit here and be preaching finances to you when we're maybe starting a recession while there's a war going on, where there's all these other things. But we also realize that like, as those things happen, worry exists. And one of the biggest things that people worry about is money and how this is going to affect their life. So we still want to make sure that we're not leaving you on the edge of your seat, not knowing what to do. But we're also want to say like, we understand the severity of this. And um, to be honest, it's, it's crazy. This isn't something that we were really predicting to happen this year. No, not at all. And like with everything happening, like I'm sure most people are aware of 
just what's going on in the world, but like there's a lot of financial implications from the things that are happening, like from what was happening in Canada with the protests where they just announced that institutions and banks could start freezing people's assets to now Russia is banned from certain financial networks like Visa and MasterCard. Like there's, there's a lot going on. Um, so we're just going to try and like talk through a little bit of it. Like, like Thomas was saying, we're not, not economic experts, not global experts or anything, just financial planners talking through the things that um, are kind of impacting investors' financial lives. Um, So I think a great place to start is what you just brought up, though, of like just the sanctions that are happening to Russia are kind of crazy. And like, again, I'm I'm not an economist, but like I never really thought about this happening before. Like I never thought you could be born into a country that country could have a dictator that is going to start a war, whether you believe it or not. And then all of a sudden your entire financial life can be ruined. And I'm not saying that like that we shouldn't be doing these sanctions. It's just crazy. I've never really thought about like, you know, you have the protests in Canada and they're deciding, okay, great. We can freeze your assets. And then we look over at Russia and we feel like, okay, hey, great. We can freeze your assets. We can stop money from coming in. Amazon, all these other places are going to stop delivering to you and basically just shut you off from the rest of the world. I've actually thought that that's just crazy. And I didn't even really ever imagine that happening. Yeah. And it's insane. And it's like all happening at the same time that crypto is kind of like reaching the mainstream. So it's like a just a super weird dynamic between kind of just everything happening. And just for like a little context, like back in February, um, Canada announced that financial institutions in the country could freeze or place a hold on the assets um, belonging to people who were participating in the protest. And um, they removed the the freeze back in February. I think it was on the 22nd. Um, But yeah, just like the fact that the government gave power to the banks to freeze anyone's account without any legal proceedings or any notification. Like it would just be like, if you went to go swipe your card at Walmart and went to go pay for it after the fact, and your bank account was just shut off, you couldn't have access to it. Couldn't really have time to transfer anything out. Like it just happened. And they said that they lifted the freeze because they were just intended to pressure the protesters to just kind of stop protesting and leave the city. And again, like we're not here to say what's right or wrong, but like if a different government, a different situation did the same thing, like I'll just use what happened last January at the Capitol, for example, like imagine if the government, the U S government was just like anyone who is here, like we're shutting off all your assets. Like there would be even a bigger outrage from those same people. And I mean, the, and then the thing with Russia, like to add to that, like with MasterCard, just shutting off the country and Visa, just shutting off the country, that's leaving the citizens in kind of a bad spot. And most of them, from what I've seen, I don't know if it's true, don't even really support the war. And some didn't even know like that their kids were going to war. And then now they're just losing access to all sorts of things. And I read earlier today that Russia is like somehow working with like a Chinese payment thing to get like kind of a new banking system set up in Russia so people can have access to services. And isn't that that where the whole conversation about like, I mean, I've seen people talking about this now too, of like, if we weren't already on the way to switching the world reserve currency from us dollars to yen, like 
this could be the start of the shift to it. And like, I, I think that's really interesting because I haven't thought about that. But I think the other side of this too is, well, I don't really want to use this as a plug for crypto, but I think of the, you know, the last 10 years, people understood like, okay, well, people either didn't understand crypto or you first started, you're like, okay, crypto, like decentralized, like government can't stop it. Like you can permissionless, you can use it everywhere. It's like unseizable. Everybody's like, okay, that's cool. But like, what's even really the use case for that? Like we don't see any problems with the existing system. And I think this last little bit of time was kind of like the light bulb moment for people of like, oh, like I do get it. But then you still have the side of people who hate crypto that are like, oh, well, well, now we're just giving money to Russia and crypto is going to help fund the military. But like that might be what's put out the media. But the reality of it is it's helping Ukraine, too. The thing is, is that by creating a decentralized system, you aren't based, you aren't like helping one versus helping the other. There can be good. There can be evil. The, the thing is, is that there's not some centralized party that can choose whether they think that's right or they think that's wrong. And I think that's kind of the place where, because it truly has helped Ukraine. Like crypto has helped this situation. Has it hurt and helped Russia? Probably. I mean, it's yeah, hard like there's, never, there's never going to be a way to get rid of all the bad. Like it doesn't matter what currency it is, what medium of exchange it is. Like there's always going to be good and bad until every single person in the world is just a good person, which isn't really possible. Uh, um but it's funny you mentioned that about the um, kind of like the potential switch of like the global reserve currency. Have you seen um, Ray Dalio's The New World Order thing that just came out the other day? Because yeah. he talked about that exact same thing. And like, it, I think it was like an hour long YouTube video. I definitely recommend anyone listening to this, go watch it. Um, because he like went through history about like all the cycles of when the global reserve currency changed and like what behaviors in a country and would like lead to the rise of it kind of hitting the top and then the downfall. And the, I mean, the U S is so far down the downfall side right now that it just like, not that it's just inevitable, but I mean, all the signs are showing that some sort of change is going to happen at some point and because it was like there there has to be like a lot of internal conflict and the strongest country other than whatever the reserve currency is sees that and they can kind of like take advantage of that and like educate everything in a country kind of plays into it and like china has been focused on education for like the past 50 years and that's one of the biggest like indicators to who's going to kind of be the new world order and like that, that video was insane. Like it opened my eyes like crazy last night. So, so this is when Powell came out and said that there could be two world reserve currencies. And I like didn't go listen to the whole thing by any means, but I don't also think he was like indicating necessarily Bitcoin was going to be that second one. And I, I don't know if he's referring to Bitcoin, if he's referring to yen, what he's really referring to. But I think that's interesting because like everybody that I talk to forever is like, well, Bitcoin could never become the world currency because of the US dollar and we can only have one. But then we have the head of the Fed over here saying that it's actually possible to have more than one. And I, I really don't know. Again, I'm not I'm just talking, but like I feel like the US is more likely to want to have the second world currency be Bitcoin than they are to want it to be again. A hundred percent, especially because like China's working on their own digital currency thing. It's like if they have their own version of 
programmed currency and they can control, then it's not even really crypto again. Then it's just a centralized digital piece of money. And I think that's super important. What you just said, though, I think that's the part is like people are like, well, OK, great. Why won't U.S. create like a digital currency or why won't China create a digital currency? Like, why wouldn't we just use that? But the thing is, like, that doesn't really do anything. All we do is now just have a digital currency. But the whole true value of decentralized not controlled by one party. Like all we're doing is basically like shifting people to think this is like a new future currency, but like dollars, we're barely even like really using dollars. Like everything is like my electric bank account to my credit card to whatever that, that change isn't really that important. And even if it does happen, it doesn't solve the problem because now we still have that same one party controlling what does and doesn't happen. And time and time again, we're seeing that they aren't choosing to do the best things with that money. A hundred percent. And I mean, there's going to be an executive order of some form signed this week by President Biden. And it's like kind of speculated that it's going to appoint someone to oversee crypto regulation and everything. And which is good. Well, let's pause there. 100%. We don't know what's coming, but every big person in crypto, all they want is like actual rules. Like they don't care. Like how is it going to be taxed? What's this going to be like? Like, what are the regulations going to be? Just give us something versus like the gray area that it's been for so long where we have no conclusion and we have no idea of what rules to follow. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I'm a hundred percent on the side of like, there needs to be some form of regulation. Like, I just hope that the things aren't put in place too quickly that aren't completely well thought through that could just kind of like throttle the growing market, um, which I mean, Powell's kind of said that, like, they know what this asset class is and the implications it can have, um, which is also probably why it, we haven't really gotten anything, because it's like, I think they see how big it is and how impactful it's going to be in the future. Like, if they mess it up, they're they're in trouble. Yeah, and I think the other side of this, too, is that, like, from what I've been reading and from everybody that I follow and see, like nobody wants this to be regulated by the SEC. Like they want this to be like a whole separate division because like it shouldn't necessarily be like if, if we're eventually going to get to the point of a currency, it shouldn't be seen as a security because there's no way to properly use a currency that when you use it to buy things, you have sales tax plus capital gains tax. Like there's just so many things to monitor and do versus like the US dollar, like right now, like Russian, like whatever I came to the name of the currency, like it has gone down a ton. The like, room. yeah, okay. So, so like all of a sudden, like, do you sell that at a loss? Like that, you don't really want to be thinking about that relative to the value you got it for, because that's not how other currencies are treated. Yeah. And it's like on the, on the currency side, the one thing that I still haven't completely wrapped my head around is like, Right now, Bitcoin is volatile because it's priced in U.S. dollars or whatever native currency. And if you remove that like price peg, then it's not volatile whatsoever. Like one Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. And I don't know what that like potential transition could look like where the global reserve currency is Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency. But it's like it only it's only volatile when it's tied to a secondary thing when it's not like that one eth is always one eth half an eth is half an eth and if places accepted things in that currency then it's just like a normal currency at that point and i don't know what that transition could look like but that's something that i've spent a good amount of time just thinking about like why do why are like crypto 
crypto maxis like so worried about the price because that still leaves fiat on the table in usd and maybe they can coexist maybe not but that's like a weird dynamic that i haven't completely figured out yet yeah no i think super interesting um okay well let's kind of like wrap it up then talking about gas like i think that's like the new thing like everybody is talking about it. it's crazy i think i went i think i went last week and got gas for like just under three dollars and then I think I was at Sam's Club this week and it was like 340 or 350. And then today I went by the gas station next to my house and it's 425. And then I know places, I know, and then I know places in California, like friends are sending a picture and it's like 685. Like yeah, I, this, this the, thing from uh, Reuters says that US drivers were paying an average of 406. Just, oh, this was just yesterday. And that's only five cents below the record high ever, which was in 08. So, and this is all again coming from we're trying to shut off and we might fully shut off getting oil from Russia. And then we have all the political people who are like, well, if only we had the Keystone like pipeline, like that would obviously make a really big difference. And I mean, it's really easy to look back in hindsight and always say like, obviously now this would make a really big deal. And I get the whole thing was, well, we don't want to keep increasing gas supply if the goal is to become green efficient, you know, and by 2030, whatever number they have, but like, Obviously, it's caused a really, really big thing. Like I know going from $60 to $100 to fill up a tank of gas for somebody that's commuting a ton is a massive impact on your budget. A hundred percent. And it's like um, with everything else, then they're still trying to fight inflation at the same time. So it's like you can't even point it towards one thing. It's like, oh, if we fix that, then everything's going to go back. Like we're still feeling the effects of the decisions that were made during the pandemic. And we're going to be feeling those for a long time. Yesterday, I mean, yesterday, I think I don't know if it was Biden or who said it, they're like, understand that like, this is like kind of what the future is going to look like. Like we aren't, this isn't going away anytime soon, which is <clears> definitely kind of scary. I would say like, none of us are really wanting to have this recession last a while. And like, then everybody's talking about, okay, great. Like, to fight inflation, we're going to raise interest rates. But now with everything going on, people are like, okay, we're probably not going to raise interest rates. We don't really know what's going to happen, but there's all of these problems where we're like, okay, here's the problem, here's the solution, but the solution we can't do because of this problem, which then is affected by this problem. And it's kind of running down. It's just crazy. I don't really know what we're going to do to get out of it. But I think like the, the thing that I want to hit home for millennials and understanding is like, all of this is going to impact you. All of this is going to impact the stock market. All of this is going to impact your investments. All of this is going to make things more expensive. And here's what I think that you need to do. One, understand that you should not be investing for the short term. The, the investments going down over the short term only affects you if you need to be using that money soon. So everybody that felt the great bull market over the last 10, 12, whatever years, it might have felt really good to be investing for something you're going to buy one, two, three years from now. But as things like this happen, this is the reinforcement to you to understand this is not how you should be investing. If you're going to buy a house next year, the year after, or, you know, whatever, that money should not be in the market. That is not worth the risk. That's number one. Two, do not sell out of your long-term investments during this time. If you are invested properly, diversified, um, broad-based, like all across the market, these types of things are going to happen. Morgan House always talks about like, this is the price that you pay to get the returns that you have. And I, I wrote an email to our clients this today, actually, that talked about like comparing this to fitness. So like, if you want to be healthy and in shape, the price you pay is you eat healthy and you work out. 
you can't get from here to there without paying that price, really. It's the same thing with investing. There's volatility. It's going to happen. And that's the price you pay to get the returns you want over the long term. If there was no volatility, no downturns in the market, you wouldn't be receiving any returns. It would basically be like a treasury bill where you get almost no return because of that. Mm -hmm. um, those are obviously like two of the most important ones. Three is if you feel like this is really hard to stomach right now, go back and reassess if you're invested outside of your risk tolerance. It's really easy to be 90% stocks, 10% crypto or 80, 20 with no bonds. And then all of a sudden a real downturn happens and you feel that and realize that, wow, like that is great when it's good, but it's too hard for me to handle when it's bad. That would be the only time that you would readjust during this time. And then I, I put point four again is do not sell during these downturns and understand that like it is hard. It is hard advice. I get it. But the best advice you can have is continue to invest the same amount. And even if you have more, invest because, more because these prices are low. And I know there's fear. I know there's uncertainty. Even for the next year, it continues to go down and you didn't buy at the bottom. You're still buying at cheaper prices. Five months ago when prices were great, you were like, let's buy more, let's buy more. And then all of a sudden we hit the sale and your first thought is, oh, let's run for it. Like those companies didn't change. Just the factors that are happening over this next six months, 12 months, whatever changed, but those are still viable companies. We still have a stock market. I still believe the future is going to be better than the past. And if you believe those things, you should stick with what you're doing. Yeah. And the only thing I really had to add to that was just like focus, like control the things that you can control, like your savings rate, your spending rate. And then it might be worth considering like adding more to your emergency fund. Like if you yeah. only had three or six months and you're kind of uncertain about what's going to happen over the next couple of years, like it doesn't hurt to start ramping that up and maybe, maybe aim for 12 months. So if you were to be laid off or if there was crazier inflation, just to be able to maintain your kind of normal way of living, having more cash on hand um, is usually never a bad idea. I love that. That was a great point. I actually should have said it, but Morgan Housel talks about this too. Like the best thing you can ever do is set up your finances in a way that you never have to sell out of the market at a bad time. And doing that is like, you have the right amount of cash flow. You have an emergency fund built up. So if I lose my job or, you know, the market goes down, I need to buy something. Like I have the money that's deployable. And I think there's so many people that talk about like investing your emergency fund, but like this is the exact reason why you don't invest your emergency fund. And again, this is another side of it. Peter Lazaroff talked about this a different time as well, that like there are certain times where if you have a really high emergency fund, you can deploy cash. And when the market goes down a ton, if you have a 12 month emergency fund, you could skim that down to nine or six months if you want to and deploy cash when the market is at the lowest point. Also, if your emergency fund is too small and you realize that like it might be hard to weather a down period of time, Use this time to accumulate more in your emergency fund. I think that's actually awesome advice. Yep. Um, cool. Well, that's everything that I wanted to talk to you today. Thanks everybody for joining us. I hope this is kind of a nice little update for you and understanding of what's going on. And if you have any opinions on this, like share it with us. We'd love to kind of hear what everybody's thinking and how they're handling it. Um, we'll see you back next week. 